Life is hectic, so wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with Factor's chef-crafted and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. With over 35 options a week, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more, they've got a variety that fits your lifestyle. Factor has restaurant-quality meals ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. They also have various easy options for the entire day, from breakfast to midday bites, smoothies, and more. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is a nutritious and delicious experience, and it won't break the bank. You can customize your meals by choosing 6 to 18 per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule deliveries anytime to fit your schedule. Factor meals are 100% hassle-free, giving you more time for what matters. Head to factormeals.com slash otherside50 and use the code otherside50 to get 50% off. That's code otherside50 at factormeals.com for 50% off your delicious, hassle-free meals. Hi, my name is Natalie Sudman. I am an artist and a writer, and I worked for many years as an archaeologist. And after a long time working as an archaeologist, I was looking around for something new and was trying to get some work overseas. I was not having any luck getting a job in another country. But I did get on some volunteer crews who were helping with Hurricane Katrina cleanup down in Mississippi and Louisiana. And during the course of that work, I met some people who offered me a job working in Iraq on the reconstruction work that was going on there. This was back in 2006. So I agreed to that job and deployed to Iraq in 2006. I worked on lots of reconstruction projects. I was a construction representative for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and then a project manager later on. I had been there about 16 months and I was outside the wire with three other colleagues. We would travel in a convoy of up-armored vehicles. So I was in an up-armored vehicle with one other colleague. There was a vehicle behind us with two other colleagues and we had truck in front of us and the gun truck bringing up the rear. It was the end of a long day of visiting construction projects. We had been to some water treatment plants and a road project when an improvised explosive device went off under my vehicle. So at that time, I was kind of half asleep. It had been a long day. I had my arm on the armrest in the truck and I had my eyes closed and I was there and then I was not. I was standing on kind of a little stage with thousands of beings arrayed all around me and I knew exactly where I was. I knew exactly what I was doing. I was downloading information to all these beings. And when I say that, I guess 
what I was doing was making that information available and they were, in a sense, taking it in. There wasn't any communication in the way that we know it. Even, I mean, that happened, that information transfer happened kind of telepathically, but not in words the way that we think of perhaps telepathic communication. It really was conceptual and the information was complete, let's say in packets of information maybe as a way to understand that. I stood there with a form. I knew I I looked exactly as I did in the physical. I was wearing my uniform. It was a little bit tattered, like I had just been blown up. And these beings are all around me. I perceived them as if they were human. They had human forms. They seemed to be made of light. Subsequently, later, when I started playing around with memory, I could change the faces of these beings into little monsters or animals or anything else that I wanted to change them into, which tells me, it suggests to me that my memory of them as human forms, some kind of human overlay. It's something that makes me comfortable, that doesn't detract from the experience as a whole. I think that they showed up as insects or something, I would be very distracted and maybe not relate to them in the same way because I had enough a human mindset maybe still hanging on to this experience at this point. I'm freshly out of the body. There are other points, there are other places in my experience where I try to do the same thing. I try to change the faces or change the way the beings that I'm interacting with look and I can't do it in many instances, which tells me that those memories are, are accurate, they're true. In any case, I was downloading information that, that was, I describe it as broadly cultural, in the sense that maybe it can be understood if I say that cultures have energy signatures, or cultures are energy flows. There's information within those flows, and there's information in the way those flows interact with each other. So there was information about that, and then all the way down to the one-on-one -on -one human interactions between people of different cultures. I don't think that a lot of that information necessarily makes sense to the human mind or is important to the human experience, but it was important to these beings. And these beings, I was familiar with them. I was familiar with them as a group and I was familiar with them. When I focus in on any one of them, I know them. I don't know them as in, oh, they were in my life in this role. I simply know, I recognize their energy signature. I recognize that we have had interactions in the past or perhaps in the future, outside of time in any case. And they have different interests or different roles that they're playing 
that include some kind of relationship to this reality. They aren't embedded in the reality in the way that we are. Uh, but if we consider the reality that we know to be a subset of, a, of an extended reality, they exist within that extended reality. In any case, when I was finished with that, I moved to another environment, and I call that movement blinking because that's how fast it was. It was just like a blink and I was somewhere else. I didn't try to move. I didn't go through any tunnels. I don't know that if I move, I sometimes suspect because I've had this experience in other places, I suspect that if I slowed this experience down, I perhaps would perceive myself as moving. But the way I remember this experience is simply that I blinked to another environment. And I call this environment the deep rest environment. I was in a, a velvety black space. Um, it felt infinite. It felt warm and very, very relaxing. I didn't have a form. I was an organization of energy. And there were two other beings with me there at first. We didn't necessarily interact as one consciousness to another. They were sort of like mechanics. They were tinkering with the organization of my energy, fixing things and tuning that energy. And when they were finished, they just disappeared. I was at first kind of going through what might be called a life review. It wasn't the way I have heard some other people describe a life review. I was not necessarily experiencing every emotion that people I interacted with had. I wasn't reliving my life in that way. What I was looking for or paying attention to was the places where unexpected things resulted from my actions, choices, or decisions that interested me. And I was also very interested in fun. And not necessarily fun in the sense of margaritas on the beach or party at the bar or whatever. In my vocabulary, I guess, I use fun for a lot of things that are simply really engaging that engage the skills and interests that I have and that I like to use. So making art is not always easy or writing is not always easy, but it's always fun for me because it's engaging and I like the process and I like the work. So work and hard things can be fun. So I was interested in, while looking through my life, I was interested in those places. When I was finished with that, I went into a deep rest state, and I described that as like going so deeply inside myself that I, in a sense, turn inside out. If you go deeply inside, there comes a point where you, in a sense, become stillness or become infinity. 
that same infinite space that I felt I was floating in or present in that velvety black space was available inside myself as well. And I don't know how long I was in there because there is no time and there's no space in that state. When I came out, I blinked to another place that I call the healing environment. And in this place I was, I could see the blown up truck down on the desert and I could see each of us, four people in it, the driver, the guard, my colleague and I. And I could perceive all of that in the same way that we do as solids. And I could also perceive each of us people as organizations of energy actually the whole scene as an organization of energy and I was with two other people in this people beings in this environment one this one and I were were old friends we knew each other very very well and not old friends as in they were a friend of mine in the physical world I don't know that we have known each other in the physical world. I didn't pay any attention to that. I simply, on a spirit level, on a non-physical level, we were very, very familiar with each other. The other being that was there felt like more of a an observer or learning from us, from observing us or something. But this friend and I were doing the equivalent of waving a hand and setting different injuries in my body. We were playing around with the injuries with the intention of deciding what injuries would set me up best for what I wanted to do, for what I had agreed to do. But actually, I forgot to say that in that first environment with all the thousands of beings, I had told them that I wasn't, I wasn't going to go back into the body. I wasn't interested. And that was accepted. But they did make a suggestion, say, well, what if you... What if you did this? I was like, oh, okay. Well, if, if I'm going to do that, yeah, I'll go back. <laughs> so I was easily convinced to go back. In any case, now in the healing environment, I was choosing injuries that uh, would serve what I had agreed to do. And we were having a lot of fun setting those injuries. From that perspective, we weren't preoccupied by pain or discomfort. There was no fear. The perspective that we had from there was really that a human lifetime is not very long and that sometimes difficult situations can serve valuable ends. So, if you go to a movie believing that all those actors are really killed in the movie, you're going to have a very, very different experience than if you know that this is a movie and while it's going, you immerse yourself in it. And when it's over, you stand up and walk out and all of those actors also stood up and walked away. Everyone's fine. No one is really hurt. And when that understanding, when that perspective is front and center, then the choice of injuries, it's not a dire choice. 
we were laughing a lot. We would do the equivalent of waving a hand and put shrapnel into my brain and then fall down laughing, seeing a kind of instant holographic totality of the rest of my life and the struggles that that would present for me. Or we would wave a hand and sever my right arm and fall down laughing, watching this instant totality of the rest of my life, trying to negotiate the world with only one arm. And obviously these things are not funny now, but from that perspective, they were very, very amusing. Eventually, <laughs> we decided on the injuries. I set those injuries. And then I blinked again back to that large gathering of thousands in order to discuss in more detail what I had agreed to do. And I don't really talk about what I agreed to do, partly because it's mine. It doesn't matter to anyone else. You've all got your things that you're doing. And partly because we're enculturated to put things into hierarchies. This thing is more important than that thing. This thing is more valuable than that thing. Um, what I'm doing is more valuable than what you're doing. What that homeless person is doing is less valuable than what that business owner is doing. But from the perspective of the non-physical, none of that is true. Whatever I'm doing is valuable. The end. Whatever you're doing is valuable. The end. So there isn't any comparison. There isn't any need for it. When that comparison is absent, then judgment is also absent. So I don't talk about what I agreed to do because I don't want it to be put in that hierarchy. I don't want to encourage anyone to do that. I want to encourage people to notice when they do that and perhaps even catch themselves and start to stop. <laughs> and ask yourself what you're doing because that's what's important to you. So when I had finished talking with the thousands of beings about what I had agreed to do, then I blinked again and I was standing next to the truck down in the desert. Everything was suspended. So it's like I was in between time and the forms were again, were visible, but visible as organizations of energy. And I was with eight or nine other beings here and we were all discussing again what I had agreed to do, but from a different perspective, from a perspective much closer to the human experience. So I describe it, I think in my book as the discussing it with the thousands of beings would be like discussing it from the managerial level. And now standing next to the truck with these eight or nine beings, I was discussing what I had agreed to do from the level of the person pounding the nails. It's a much more practical kinds of issues that we were discussing. And when we were finished talking about those things, I blinked, heard a pop, and 
I was back in the truck. The truck was still rolling down the road. The engine was dead. We were still rolling down the road. The driver turned the wheel. We rolled off the side of the road onto the desert and the truck stopped. So at that point, I still had my eyes closed. I knew that an improvised explosive device had gone off under our truck. I knew that it was not minor injuries, which happened a surprising amount, that this was gonna be serious. And I, I just thought, well, I'm just gonna have to open my eyes and deal with it. <laughs> so I opened my eyes and made sure no one was bleeding out and tried to get a gun from the guard in front of me in case it was a coordinated assault. I couldn't get the gun out as it was stuck behind his leg. I tried to get the med kit out, but that was also stuck against his legs. And within a few minutes, the other trucks in our convoy came and helped us out. We were medevaced out to, um, well, we were we'd taken to our base to Lille, then we're taken to the in-country surgery center in Balad, thrown, and then flown through Launchstool back to Walter Reed Army Medical Facility. And I remembered parts of this. When I first opened my eyes, or when I was first sitting there with my eyes closed, actually, I knew that I had been somewhere. And the feelings from where I had been were quite vivid. There was no fear in me as I sat there thinking about opening my eyes, and there was no fear in me after I had opened my eyes. After I had made sure that no one was bleeding out, tried to get the gun, tried to get the med kit out, then sat back. I couldn't use my right arm. I didn't really look at it. I just knew it didn't work. Couldn't see out of this eye, so I was just holding my hand over my eye and waiting for the rest of the team to get to us. I was just looking out the window, wondering if I would be able to see out of this eye again. And I thought, oh, I really want to be able to see out of this eye. But then I thought, what if, if I can't see out of this eye, I can see other worlds more clearly? And I got really, really excited about that, which is, I attribute to that same perspective that I had during the healing environment when I was trying on different injuries. There was simply no fear. I wasn't afraid of what the rest of my life would look like. I wasn't afraid of the pain or rehab or I wasn't filling in the blanks of the future. I was in the single moment and I was wondering about things. I was wondering about things in a way that made any experience interesting. I've never had one eye before. I wonder what this will be like. It was something new. And I had lots of those moments, certainly over the next month, that I spent as an inpatient at Walter Reed, and more incidents like that over the next couple years as an outpatient at Walter Reed. I think that the experience really informed the way that I thought about my injuries. Certainly, knowing that I was the one who chose them 
changed the way that I approached them and the way that I thought about them. If they were injuries that I chose, there's no one to blame. There's no one to be angry with. And I trusted that even if I couldn't always remember why I chose these injuries or if there was really, in some sense, I think that I remember a fraction of what I intended to do coming back here. And I think I remember only a fraction of the value of these particular injuries or the use of these particular injuries. But it, I don't think it matters whether I can remember those or not, because I remember that they do have value, that there is a larger reason for them. And in that larger reason, trusting that, trusting that in myself, makes these injuries simply another experience available for me, an opportunity available for me in this lifetime. I was raised in the Presbyterian, in a very liberal Presbyterian church and kind of left that any organized religion when I was in my early 20s. I had had psychic experiences ever since I was a kid, talked to spirits, had dreams that came true later. And it wasn't really until my 30s that I realized that I could probably learn to control some of that and to get better at certain aspects of it with practice, that I didn't have to just wait around for something to happen. And I had done a few psychic readings for friends before I got blown up. I'm going to say that all of that just became that much more real after my experience, of course. <laughs> and I, I think that like the psychic reading part just became much more confident and much more trustworthy after my experience.